we have just a few announcements tonight. Um, one, and this is, we're just putting this together because one of our, um, I don't know, it's concerned too strong of a word. It's hard when we're not able to meet. And one of our deepest desires is that we continue to connect. And how do we do this during this sort of uncertain time that we're going week to week? How do we safely meet? So, Saturday, December 18th at 10 a.m., 10 to noon, Maggie right now is looking going, I don't know the details of this, but as our uh, media coordinator, but um, we are going to meet at Beards Plaisance Park, and we're going to have donuts and hot cocoa, and if there's snow, we're going to sled, and if not, we're going to have yard games and maybe something that we might put together, but we want to encourage everyone to come. 10 to noon on a Saturday, hang out, see each other face to face, we'll be outside, it'll just be so fun just to connect. I think we all miss that so much. So that's what we're hoping to do on that day. I hope you'll all join us for that. Other thing I wanted to make sure you know is that our Christmas Eve service will be on the 24th at 7 p.m. right here. At this point, we are not having childcare, but we welcome all the noise and joy and laughter. Come one, come all. Um, our Christmas giving this year will once again be our partner Ace in the City. I think it's the third year in the row that we're our neighbor right down the road that we're actually doing a lot of tangible partnering with. Um, we will um, send any money that comes in on Christmas Eve over to Ace in the City. Um, so we're grateful, grateful for you guys doing that. Along those lines, Thanks for your continuing generosity in our giving. We do that online under the giving tab. There's also a box at the back of this. Oh, right over here. There's a box here if you'd rather give that way. Matt mentioned it a couple weeks ago. Um, and Maggie, maybe you did last week, but you guys have been amazing. We had that budget gap. We needed to shrink, and we continue to do that. So we're so grateful for each and every one of you in that. If you aren't connected, please get connected. That's how you'll find out about all the things we have going, and we're shifting gears a lot these days. We've had to cancel things. We're adding things. Um, we're trying our hardest to keep us all connected. So text TABLE to 33222, and we will make sure that you're up to speed on everything we're doing. So with that, so glad you guys are with us tonight. And Matt, you're, wait, Readers. readers. I invite the Fellermans up for our Advent, what? And the children are dismissed. There's too much going on. I can't keep track of it all. The children are dismissed, and we invite the Fellermans up for the Advent reading. Okay, good to see you. I'll take the hugs. Oh, my mask. All right. Wait, tell them kids what's going on. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Good to see you all. This is what my face looks like without a mask. <laughs> this is the reading for the second Sunday of Advent. In our efforts to speak, in our exhaustion from going unheard, in the healing we've postponed and the empty chairs that stay cold, God of the warm blanket, steady our bodies as your presence pulls us close. 
When our drapes are closed and our screens are lit, God, our neighbor, pull us into the arms of others where we'll discover the cleansing embrace of you. We light a candle tonight for peace, the dream of it and the struggle for it, as we hold the hands of those who hold our hearts. God of peace, give us the courage to take in your cure and the clarity to see that there can be no peace for anyone until there is peace for everyone. We light, light a, a candle, candle for peace. peace. May, May we, we rise up, up together. together with all and for all. Appreciate it. Great job. Oh, you sure I can take that? I don't know exactly what. Debbie? Just kidding. <laughs> you got a lot on your plate. Thank you. Um, okay, so we're talking about peace. I think I kind of organized a sermon around joy. And so this is going to be a little bit of an audible. Do you want me just to freestyle it and try to go with joy? Let's talk about joy. And what a day to talk about joy. It hasn't been this cold since 1862 and the Vikings lost to an XFL team this afternoon. But... Sure, let's talk about joy. We are in a series right now called On a Quiet Day. This is our Advent series, and the title and the tone of the series that we are in is derived from a quote from Arundhati Roy, where she is um, giving this speech where she's talking about the redemption of ruins and the work of peacemaking and uh, joy-making and reconciliation, redemption in the world. And she starts to say how, you know, even with everything that we're up against, even in the midst of this on-again, off-again pandemic, even in light of uh, white supremacy that is preserved and perpetuated and inflicted on people, even in the midst of all of these things that are restraining movements of love across the land, I still have hope. I still believe that another world is not only possible, but that she is on her way. And on a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. That's what this series is about. This series is about finding Sundays where we can come together and we can quiet our mouths and we can open our ears and we can collectively lean in and linger around this space and ask, do you hear the breaths of new world, new life, new hope, new joy, new peace, newness emerging in the midst of all that is old, decay, dying? Which begs the question then, if that's the world that we are looking for, if that's the world that we insist is actually coming to fruition, manifesting before our eyes, if the kingdom that we pray will come is indeed on its way and is coming, then what does it look like to be in this world while being of that world? Like what is a life that is marked by the new world, by the kingdom of God, by the embodiment of all that we long for? What does it look like to carry that kind of flavor while you're sitting in toxic waters elsewhere. Uh, honestly, I think a lot of this is what Isaiah seeks to do. We are in Isaiah throughout the duration of this series. And Isaiah is a voice who is trying to say, uh, I know that things are hard. I know that you have been in exile 70 years. That you are bearing the full 
frontal, ugly cost of a geopolitical and spiritual conflict, and now you are far from home. Jerusalem has been stripped away. You're stuck in Babylon. Hope is hard to find, and yet you're in here, but I don't want you to be of here. There's a better, higher road that we have still for you. You're in the midst of some heaviness. There is still death all around you, but I want you to bring up some joy from within you. I want you to be the kind of people who can perceive all of the death, but don't stop at what you see because you can see the joy emerging inside of it. You can see, as Christian reminded us last week, the shoots breaking forth from the stump. He says this line in Isaiah 54, and I heard it a long time ago and I dismissed it right away because it just kind of sounds stupid. Or it sounds Pollyannic. Or it sounds so disconnected from boots on the ground lived reality that it feels pointless to ever really dwell upon. But, but I don't think that it is. In Isaiah 54, he says this to this nation. and He uses the metaphorical language of a barren woman. And he says, sing, barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song. Shout for joy, you who are never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. So do you understand why, I would never, why we haven't talked about this text before? Right? Um, let's, let's think about it in modern terms. You who have had your dreams fall apart. You who have had your marriages completely collapse. You who set out on an entrepreneurial endeavor and it completely fell on its face. You who are stuck in that same addiction, you are stuck in those same behaviors, you who are stuck in those toxic relationships, shout for joy. Go ahead. The floor is yours. Sing for joy. Proclaim gladness. You who are in that place. See, it's almost like this aggravating text. I always think about, um, I don't know if you guys remember this from years ago, but uh, that Timberwolves clip where Ricky Rubio is out on the court and one of his teammates, Lexi Shved, has like just bummed out because the Timberwolves weren't very good then. They are now, but they weren't good then. And Ricky Rubio gets caught on camera going over to him and he says, Hey, Lexi, change your face. Just be happy. And I'm like, that, nothing makes me more angry <laughs> than somebody telling me to be happy when I'm not happy. Like if, you're actually, if that's the end result you want, you're going about it the wrong way. That's not going to happen. Just, just be happy. Sing for joy, barren woman. Sing for, you know, everything's falling apart. But just, just shout for joy anyways. Just do it. More KDWB, less NPR, more sugar, less vegetables. Like let's just be happy. See, I don't understand this old man Isaiah. Uh, it feels like, um, at best, it's just a very insensitive worst word, but at worst, it's just really cruel. Because how are we in, in Babylon, where all we can really offer up are the blues, supposed to suddenly sing pop songs and be happy? Well, Isaiah would say, let me stop you right there, because I'm not telling you to be happy. There's nothing in here about being happy. Like happy, nobody's talking about, I said to shout for joy. I didn't say to sing for happiness. I said to shout for, happiness is, is too uh, immature for what I need you to be about. Happiness is reserved for happy meals. There's a reason why adults can't get happy meals. I didn't know that until last week, but I found that out. Happiness is not versatile enough for the life of anybody who's lived more than five years on this earth. 
Happiness is, is too dualistic. It, it operates on a binary. You're either happy or you're sad. You're either negative or you're positive. You're either this or you're that. But joy isn't that. Joy has space for it all. Joy wraps its arms around it all. Joy says you can be in the midst of this and still get in on that. Joy has much wider arms that are fit for adults who are walking through a world that will leave you with winds and leave you with wounds. And you're going to need something bigger for sustainability, for peace, joy, love, fulfillment, a sense of, of knowing who you are. You need to go beyond the happy meal and into some joy instead. That is what Isaiah is speaking about here. Isaiah is saying that in this world, in Babylon, even though you have already lost Jerusalem, you can still have joy. When you understand what joy is and you understand what the prophet's getting at, you start to understand that he's not lacking a proper social analysis on the, the situation that they are in, nor is he being disrespectful to the gravity of the ground that they're on. Isaiah is, is he's giving a sobering word that, that I don't think we really want to hear. Because ultimately what he is saying is that I know that you're coming at me right now with all of your wounds. And I know that you're saying to me that this is the worst. This is like everything has suddenly become so bad. So how can I sing for joy? And Isaiah would say, it's actually much worse than you think it is. <laughs> because everything leaving you, everything being taken away, that's not a recent phenomenon. Like entropy is embedded in all of our existence. There are exits all around us. Everything is leaving. And so I know that you are bummed out about the current predicament and how suddenly you're in this place. But I'm telling you, you have always been in this place. It's only now because you've suffered, because you've had a wound ripped open. It's only now that you are aware of how fleeting all of life is. Uh, I was thinking about this this weekend. I was up at Two Harbors with some friends, um, a group of guys that I've been with since literally I was four years old, which is crazy. I don't know if I fully realized it, how rare of a thing that is until this weekend where eight of us are sitting around the table. Like, we've, we've been in this thing since preschool at Calvary Baptist Church in Roseville. That's a wild thing to consider. But I, I noticed this thing where despite, like, the frigid temperatures, and I've already made it painfully clear that I hate winter. I don't like being cold. I don't, I don't like what's happening outside right now. Nobody ran this by me first. Despite that, I noticed how throughout the duration of our time together at this cabin up north, each of us would find time to go outside and just stare at the old Gitchigumi, Lake Superior. Like each of us would just go out there and sit. I don't know why other people did it. We didn't talk about it. But I noticed that each of us did it. And on one night, I, I stayed up too late, and I got onto the Google, and that led me on a rabbit trail. But I started asking, like, wh why is it that people do these kinds of things? What is it about mountains or oceans or, or big lakes like Superior that, that draw us to come and sit before? I mean, because we're more ADHD than we've ever been before. Like, we don't sit before much of anything. But something about mountains, oceans, lakes makes us come close and we just want to shut our mouths and stare for a moment. Well, Google, one of the, the more compelling answers that it offered up, it says that there is something about our thirst for permanence that we hope to find quenched in the bigness of these places. 
we are a people who live inside of a world that is created by pencils, but inside of the oceans and the mountains and the lakes, we run into some Sharpies we want to grab it. We want something that will last, something that we can cling to, something that is sustainable, something that we can freeze and just hold still. But we can't though, can we? Because nothing actually lasts. Mountains erode, uh, sea levels change, democracy implodes, mom gets sick, jobs come to an end, friends leave, feelings leave. And then even you end up leaving yourself. This is the other part of the Google that was really fascinating to me. Every day you lose 50 to 150 strands of hair. Some of us more than that. Every day you shed 10 billion flakes of skin. Every 28 days you get completely new skin. And every nine years, your entire body is renewed. Everything is always leaving. Nothing is static. Nothing stays still. Nothing will just behave according to our desires in that way. And so I know that you are sad and resistant to singing about joy because you believe that once you get back to Jerusalem and all the things are going to find their proper place, then everything will finally be locked down, secured, the boxes will be checked, and then you can sing joy. But newsflash, you're going to get out of Babylon soon enough. You're going to go all the way back to Jerusalem. But even in Jerusalem... It won't all stay. Everything there will leave. The complications that you are experiencing, they'll be different than they are here in Babylon. But they'll still be there. And the reason why I believe that um, Isaiah was able to say it with some sincerity is because he is talking to a people who have dealt with incredible pain. I don't know if this has been your experience. But in my experience, people who have suffered people who have gone through life and had to hold the heaviest of things, oftentimes they walk around like the lightest of people. It's not a belittling of what they went through. It's just a recognizing that when you come face to face with how precious of a gift life is, there is parts of you that cease from taking it all for granted. It allows you to be in Babylon and say, like, this is not what I, this was not on the vision board. This is not what I wanted. Now, I still have breath in my body. My kids, I still have a relationship with them. I, I, I get to talk today. My legs are still working. There's food on my plate. There are opportunities to linger enough in my life that I can still discover joy. I don't have to delay it. I don't have to deny it. I don't need the deficits in my life to leave before the prophets start to roll in. There is joy to be found in this place. And if I can't find that place, if I can't find the joy in Babylon, I'm not going to find the joy in Jerusalem. If I can't find the joy in the hard place, then I'm going to suffer even more than I already think I am. This is what my therapist had the audacity to tell me the other day. She said, um, we were talking about dread. We are talking about uh, just how life is hard. We are talking about addictions. And we are talking about patterns. And we are talking about, like, is there ever a time where life isn't hard? <laughs> like, when this, like when it's just the suffering stops? And she said this thing, which I think she heard from a Buddhist priest on NPR. She said, suffering is what happens when you think that suffering shouldn't happen. If you hear nothing else tonight, hear that. 
Suffering is what happens when you think that you are somehow above boredom, above inconvenience above pain. Because otherwise, when pain comes into my story, when I end up in Babylon, despite like buying property in Jerusalem, this is like an affront to all of my senses. Something has gone terribly awry, and I cannot experience joy until the plan gets back on track. No, no, no. Sing barren woman. Shout for joy now. Unless you're going to suffer. Because suffering is what happens when you think that suffering shouldn't happen. There is no other side. There is no place of arrival where suddenly you are complication-free and all the wrinkles are gone. It's just not the case. Entropy is embedded in the totality of our existence. Everything is already leaving, always leaving. And so be here with what is here because there are gifts all around. They come with fragile stickers on top, but they're waiting for you to open them, to delight in them. Joy is the aim. Joy is the game. Jesus embodies this more than anybody. Prior to Jesus, there was much to do in religion about feasting, but Jesus insisted that now was the time there was much to do in religion about fasting. Jesus told us to feast. It wasn't about like this like, um, self-flagellation. It wasn't about like this, like how do I make this? It was about how do you enjoy where you are with the ones you're with and actually savor the gifts all around you, even if they're not you on Mount Everest, even if they're not the climactic moments that you put on your vision board, even if the p- pieces of joy. One of the best things I've heard is from uh, former pastor uh, Rob Bell where he does this thing called Introduction to Joy. I believe it's on YouTube. And he says this line where he's talking about all these crazy stories. He says, like, I walked around the neighborhood and I saw this guy that was wearing this, like, crazy outfit. And my kid and I just started laughing so hard. Then we went to the the, uh, pet store. And you wouldn't believe the name of this pet store. And then my kid said this crazy thing. He said, if you want to have joy, lower your standards. It is a beautiful word. If you want to have joy... Stop waiting for all the things to fall perfectly into place. Lower your standards and receive the gifts that are here. I thought about this. I don't know. Show of hands who's watching uh, Beatles. Beatles? The documentary. There's this moment in the documentary I want to show you right now. Can you play this clip? Next slide. I, we, I was watching this with a friend. We completely like stopped it at this point right here. Paul McCartney is writing on the spot, get back. This beautiful, amazing song. Ringo Starr looks like his dog just died. George Harrison is ready for bed. If you want to experience joy, lower your standards. Be present to where you actually are. You cannot go through life disappointed or bored because there's so much that is around you trying to wake you up. It is the language of the Gospels all over again. Wake up, wake up, see, listen, look, 
wake up, wake up, open up the gifts, see, listen, look. You know what gratitude is in, in the Hebrew language? It's the word hakaratov. And it means recognizing the gifts that are all around you. In the Greek language, the, the, the word for joy is kairos, which is the same word that means gift. Joy is our response to the gifts that are here. Not everything is as we would love it for it to be, but there are gifts all around you. You don't have to wait for Christmas morning to start opening them up. You pray with me. Jesus, God, give us the courage to be vulnerable enough to open ourselves up to the gifts that are all around us. God, give us the eyes to see that uh, life is hilarious and beautiful and frustrating and tragic and wonderful. And there are highs and lows and boredom and Mondays and Vikings losses and everything in between. And it all belongs. God, help us to be here with all that is here. Help us to stop delaying our joy. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, so that we can come be the kind of people that you desire and have called us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Matt. While Matt was talking, I couldn't help but think about um, this idea of being present to the moment you're in and that joy isn't about your circumstances, but about taking in what's around you. And it certainly isn't for the immature. It is for the mature. And I was reminded of a time um, uh, as my sister was dying a couple months before she died of cancer. We were at a girls weekend up north. And the entire weekend she sat in a chair and she just had this huge smile on her face the entire weekend. And when I asked her how she was doing, she said, I am so filled up just taking it all in. The joy, despite her circumstances, despite that she knew she was dying. She was able to experience the joy of the moment that she did have. And that's right. We see that in Jesus more than anybody else. The Jesus that sat at a table the night before he died. And he sat with his friends and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. He took the cup, and after pouring wine into the cup, he said, this is my blood shed for you. The new covenant for everybody. When you drink from this cup, remember me. So that's what we do. We can remember the joy that's all around us, that's in all sorts of moments, no matter what our circumstances might be. So as you take your cup and you peel back to get your wafer, I see Sheems coming around with more for people. Thank you, Sheems. And you can take that wafer and you can hear these words. The body of Christ broken for you. And as you take that cup, and you drink from it. Take in these words. The blood of Christ shed for you. And we can be present to this moment. And the joy of being together. So please stand.
as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Prone to anxiety that I'm stable and secure and I don't, my mind doesn't get the best of me sometimes, but sometimes it does. And one of the ways that I feel like anxiety can get the most in me is like my kids. You guys, my kid was like less than five minutes old and I already thought he's going to end up in a gang for sure. He's got ADHD like me and this is a problem. Why is he crying? It's so loud. Not normally people don't do that, right? But one of the things I've learned is that there is a form of heaviness that is addicted to outcomes and needing all of our experiences to accurately reflect our expectations. And it doesn't get you anywhere. There's no life in it. And so I've had to learn that of all the concerns and anxieties that I carry about my kids, where are they gonna end up? Will they be okay? Will addiction be in them? Will they find somebody to love? Will they be loved by anybody but me? What, what is the future for them? The reality is the worst might happen. The worst stuff could happen. I mean, I think about Chase, the worst happened. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but we do get today. I get to raise my kid tonight. I get to sit down and put them to bed tonight. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know what my marriage will look like tomorrow, but tonight I get to love my wife. I don't know where food's going to come from tomorrow, but tonight I get to savor a meal. This is moving slowly and walking gently enough on the earth so we are aware of the gifts that are around us. I would hate for us to reach the end and turn around and say, has it really been that good the whole time? And now I'm just aware. Will you close your eyes and hold out your hands as we close this space together? Friends, no matter who you are, what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, where you've gone or the places that you've stayed. Know that there will always be a seat here for you at the table because you are beloved child of God and beloved you belong. Go in peace. You are loved. We'll see you next week.